Last week, we began a sermon series on Paul the Apostle, and uh, we, we, I titled it The Unlikely Apostle, and uh, the reason for it is if you take a look at his background, you're like, holy cow, there's no way this guy should have been an apostle of the Lord, but yet he was. And so, you know, when we're going through this sermon series in the next several weeks, you know, we're not going to just study like what Paul wrote. But we're also going to study, really, essentially the life of Paul and what the life of Paul and the things that he's dealing with are really something that we can learn from, okay? It's a little bit different than like, hey, you know, let's just open up to Galatians chapter 3 and let's just read it and do a lesson out of it. I really wanted to plug in to try to really understand who Paul is because I really do believe that he's probably the single most misunderstood character in the Bible, I think, um, some other may think differently, but there, there's a lot going on. So that's what we're doing. And so last week we were talking about like, who is this man before he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus? Uh, and then we talk about, okay, once he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, we take a look at what his life was like before. And then what was his life like immediately after? And what's really bizarre here is before he goes into ministry, the Lord brings him to Arabia for three years. And he lives in Arabia for three years. And I was trying to come up with the understanding of, of, okay, why does he do this? Why did the Lord bring him to Arabia? This is recapping last week. And so Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11, we get a little, a little taste of it. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor as I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. And then he goes on to say back in, uh, or in verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And so he spends three years in Arabia without talking to any of the apostles, Peter, James, Matthew. He's like, he's really by himself. And the reason why I felt that he was called to do this is what he says right here in, Revel, uh, in, uh, in Galatians. And that is that you... And I need a revelation of Jesus. So that's like a 30 second like summary of like a kind of a longer sermon last week. And that's essentially the first lesson we learned from him. And now what's going to happen, Paul in the book of Corinthians is writing to the church of Corinth. And I mentioned this last week. There's a lot of things going on. He says unto Corinth, I was flogged three times. I was beaten by rods. I was shipwrecked. I was in perils at sea. I was in perils on land. I was in perils before the Jewish authority. I was in perils before the Roman authority. And all of this has happened to me, but I'm telling you, Corinth, I pray and I fast, not because of all those things that happened to me, but I pray and I fast because the church in Corinth is weak. It's like, whoa. He goes through all of these things and he's like, but what I'm burdened with is not these physical ailments. I'm burdened that you're weak. And so now, <laughs> we go to 1 Corinthians. And this is really uh, the lesson uh, for this week. And it's the lesson of discovering Paul and the understanding of moving from milk to solid food. Because after all of this, he's addressing now the Corinthians, and there's a lot of things going on. All right, so Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 8, so we can set the stage. And I, brethren, this is Paul speaking, could not speak to you 
as to spiritual people, but only as to carnal people. Because you are babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, fleshly. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. All right, so in this, there's a lot going on. And uh, the highlight of what I want you to focus in on now, as of now, is this notion of the believers in Corinth are being carnal. That Paul the Apostle would like to teach them the solid meat of the word, deeper, more profound things, but they're still only drinking the milk, the easy stuff, the basics. Okay? And so when you read through the epistles, particularly Corinthians, you see that, like, Paul's frustrated. Like, he's really frustrated with the various churches throughout the world. What's the frustration? As I just said, you're, the, 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 they're mere babes, only drinking the milk of the word. I can't teach you the depths of God yet. We see in the book of Acts and in the epistles where this kind of frustration emanates even more. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, he spends three years in the desert. Now he comes out and he's this apostle, although he feels like he's not an apostle because the other apostles are kind of like, who is this dude? Coming out of the desert. This guy was trying to kill us. Right? It's pretty crazy. And so, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, the first frustration, the first thing that Paul has to deal with, and it's like, he can only deal with all this stuff if he had three years with the Lord in, in, in the middle of nowhere, right? The stuff that he has to deal with is unbelievable. The first thing, do you know what the first real theological question in the New Testament was and during the book of Acts, outside of like, did Jesus be, was, was Jesus the Messiah? Was he raised from the dead? The first theological question that people were plagued with was phenomenal because 98% of us uh, uh, would be involved in this. And that is, can Gentiles be saved? That was the first theological, theological question in the book of Acts. Can Gentile people believe and accept Jesus the Messiah? And if you, can, you can't even believe this, but it's like Peter and James are actually like, I don't know. I don't know if they can. And Paul is like, really? Like Isaiah 60 says, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, shall Come to see the brightness of your arising. Like Israel, uh, Israel, Peter, James, like this is fulfillment of the prophets that, that the Gentiles are seeing the light of God in us because of the coming of the sun. Like, come on. And they're still like, I don't know. And what happens here is fortunately, the Holy Spirit falls on a group of Gentiles. They start speaking in tongues. They start prophesying. And the Jews are like, the Jewish believers are like, oh, I guess if the Holy Spirit is in them, they must also be saved. Okay. 
And then Peter has a dream and he has a vision and the Lord says, go to the unclean for what I've made clean is not unclean, but what I've made clean is clean, speaking to the Gentiles. And so now everything's fine, but like Paul is like, Peter, I told you that like a couple weeks ago. That news is crazy. The next thing that he has to deal with. Now, the Gentiles in Galatia and the Gentiles in Rome are starting to get a little haughty. And they now say, I don't know if the Jews can believe in a Messiah. So now he has to spend chapters in Galatia. He has to spend Romans 10 through 12 explaining in detail, like, are you kidding me? Like, in Israel, in Jerusalem, the apostles are questioning if you guys can be saved. And then you guys outside of Israel are questioning if they can be saved. And he's like, what the heck is going on? There's neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, free nor slave nor Scythian. There's one in Messiah. He's saying that in Galatia, but people are like, well, I don't know, Paul. Then he has to explain it to the Romans in Romans 10 to 12. I highly advise you guys to read that. talks about the olive tree, the olive tree connection. And he says, look, you Romans, you are, you, you Gentiles, you are wild branches that have been grafted into the kingdom of God. And if you think that the natural branches, which is Israel, can be so easily cut off and replaced, man, what could happen to you if you're not even natural but you're wild? They can just and forget about you. So do not be haughty. And then he clarifies, he says, actually, Romans, don't you know that salvation has come from the Jews? And then he goes on to say, hey, Rome, you actually owe the Jewish people something. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, um, you owe them. This is a tough scripture. Scripture says that there has been a temporary blindness that has come upon Israel in order so that the fulfillment and the fullness of the Gentiles could come. You hear that? God purposely put veils upon some of the Jewish people's eyes. So that the message would be able to go to the Gentiles. And Paul is like, do you see what was given up for you as a sacrifice by people? Wow. It's like, you owe them. What do you owe them? He says in Romans 12. What you owe them is you are to provoke the Jews now to jealousy. Let them see their Messiah in you. Right? And so this is the paradigm. Jews show us the lightness, the light of, of the scriptures throughout time. And that was their role. And that continues to be their role. But roles as a Gentile is to say, look, you've shown this to me, and I thank you. Now look, this is the Messiah. That's the paradigm of being neither Jew nor Greek, but we do have different roles in the kingdom. So he's clarifying all this, and now, if that's not theologically heavy and crazy enough for this young upstart coming out of Arabia, by the way, right, he's being beaten and flogged and all that kind of stuff at the same time, being lowered out of a basket, you know, to escape like a king. Like, in the midst of all that, he's like, I got to deal with this. These theological problems. Now, in the midst of all that kind of stuff, which I just told you about, Paul's like right-hand bro, like his protege, Timothy, goes to Paul and is like, Paul, I'm sorry, man. Like, I I'm sorry I have to tell you all this. We, we actually see him. Obviously, I'm like making like the modern day conversation. Like, it's like your young Padawan, your little disciple comes up to you. He's like, Paul, I'm sorry. 
I know you're going through a lot. I know like just yesterday you got the you know what kicked out of you and you were whipped and you were flogged and you were beaten by rods and all this kind of stuff. I hate to burden you with this, but have you heard about Corinth? Paul's like, no. What's going on in Corinth? Well, there's reports coming out of the church of Corinth. What are the reports, Timothy? Can you fix the bandage from the whip that went across my back this last time? Sure, Brother Paul, but let me tell you what's going on. There's reports in Corinth that the believers are involved in incest. They're involved in sexual morality. Men are laying with men, which is unnatural. Men are laying with women that are not their wives, which is wrong. They're not helping the needy. There's jealousy, there's gossip, there's fighting. And can you believe it, Paul? I'm really sorry, man. Hold on, let me just get this bandage for you. Want some ice? Because this is going to be bad. What can be any worse than incest and sexual morality and fighting? They're even questioning the resurrection. Paul responds. Pretty intensely. He writes four letters in total to the Corinthians. We have two. Scholars say there probably was another two. Or maybe even the two were originally four and they, someone condensed them together, possibly. We know in the scriptures that Paul goes to Corinth three times. That's a lot. We know that one time when he goes, it says in Acts, I believe, 18 or maybe it was 19. It says that he spends 18 months in Corinth. That's a year and a half of discipleship by an apostle, like one of the, the apostles, right? We also know that he sends Apollos, one of his right-hand guys, directly to Corinth. He also sends Priscilla and Aquila to go there. So we, got, we, have, we have Apollos, one of his right-hand guys, Aquila, one of his right-hand guys, and Priscilla, a right-hand girl, who's acting as an apostle that's going there. Right? He's like, I'm sending you, Corey, I am sending you like the best of the best. And you're still screwing up. Now what's very heavy here is we start to hear the tone of Paul with all this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is him talking to the Corinth church. Now I plead with you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Kepha, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Are you were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. What is this? This is hero worship. This is, man, I'm a Christian, but I'm a follower of Bill Johnson. I'm a follower of Mike Bickle. I'm a follower of United Pursuit Band. I'm a follower of Billy Graham. I'm a follower of this pastor, and this pastor's got it right, and this pastor's got it wrong. Paul will be saying unto you, have you been crucified in that name? Have you been crucified in the name of that ministry? No. Then preach Jesus Christ crucified. Now, it's awesome that you go to Paul and his teachings. It's awesome that you go to Apollos. 
But you can't, you can't raise up this hero worship, right? That's good. Which is so common amongst men. So common amongst men. It's funny. Now this is this is like this is where it's at, man. Second Corinthians chapter two. This is bad. This is so bad. Now this is the second letter. This is bad. This is this is so bad. Let's, let, look, this is Paul, right? I mean Paul of all this it's so funny. Second, uh, where am I? Second Corinthians chapter two. But I, Paul, determined this within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. All right, so let me explain what's going on here. He's writing the letter saying, I am writing this letter of essentially reprimand. That you should not be doing all these things. I'm writing this all out because I've already been there twice. And I've already been there for 18 months. And I've already written a letter to you. And I'm still hearing these reports. So I'm reading and writing another letter to you. When I'm getting my back bandaged up. And I'm going to come back. So I'm writing all this down to tell you what the heck you need to do. Because I'm telling you, if I show up and you're dealing with this stuff again, I am going to lose a whatever. That's what he's saying. I don't want to have sorrow when I see you. So here are the things that you need to do. You better get chip-chap. So when I get there, things are good. Because you're still living on the milk of the word. Because you're living a carnal life, corn. All right? So that's what's going on. I mean, it's crazy stuff that's happening. And so, without any further ado, let's go to Corinth. We can hit the video, please. And, uh, yeah. Can you make a little louder, please? Excavations have now uncovered much of Roman period court in 
including an agora, a forum, a city council building, gymnasiums, baths, a 14,000 seat theater, and multiple temples to mythological gods. This was the Corinth that Paul visited when he came here in 50 AD. It was the capital of Achaia province and the seat of Roman power in the region being controlled by a proconsul. Corinth was probably the fifth largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Rome, Alexandria, Ephesus, and Antioch. And since it was a hub of travel and commerce with a population of over 200,000 people, it was yet another location for the gospel to have far-reaching impact. Let's return to the book of Acts. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Acts 18, 1-4. Luke tells us that after Paul arrived in Corinth, he soon met Priscilla and Aquila, fellow tent makers who had been deported from Rome by Emperor Claudius. According to first century records, Claudius tried to rid Rome of Judeans and Christians in about 49 AD. Now, Paul and his new friends may have sold their tents right here, this location, in what would have been shops at the western side of the Forum. Paul also followed his normal custom of going to the synagogue to preach the gospel. All right. I thought it was pretty cool. A lot of those ruins were not seen until there was an earthquake. I feel like the Lord was just saying, uh, in your life, earthquakes come to expose the truth. Let's take a look at Corinth. <clears throat> um, so there you have uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Mediterranean Sea is uh, called the Mediterranean Sea by the Romans. Uh, it's Mediterranean. Uh, it is Latin for meta, which is where you get medium from. Medium is not large nor small. It's medium. It's in the middle of that. And then Terrania, which is the earth. It's the middle of the earth. The Romans believed that the Mediterranean Sea was the focal point in the center of the earth because that's where their empire was around. Right? They didn't have an understanding yet of other lands. So this is like the focal point. It's the center of the world, the Mediterranean. And what's very interesting here is right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea of really the center of the Roman Empire because they haven't gone really too far west yet. In the center of it is the town of Corinth. Wow. And so what we have here is Corinth is in the middle of the middle of the earth. It is essentially one of the centerpieces to the world stage. It is a center of culture and it is a center of money. It's an isthmus. An isthmus is a, a body of land or a land that goes through two bodies of water. Okay, It's the opposite of, of uh, I guess, a canal is what you would say. So it's an isthmus. It goes out and, and, and there's two major bodies of water on each side, the Adriatic Sea and the Aegean Sea. And this is like the place, this is the center of trade. From the east, from India, they get spices. We know this uh, on history, or in history. Uh, from India, they get spices. From China, they get silk. 
From Italy, they get timber that they're going to export out to the east, uh, in, in the Middle East, where there's not a lot of timber. So there's an ex exchange of goods going on. Uh, from Tarsus in Turkey, where Paul's from, they're getting linen, they're getting uh, mercantile goods. From Greece and North Africa, they get marble. And then from Corinth, they, they export oil, wine, and fruit. So this is a trade center. Uh, this is a major place of trade, a major place of money throughout the centuries. And so when I was looking into this, I was like, ah, the milk. The center of the world in many regards, and the center of culture and money. Essentially, what Paul is faced with is this, to Corinth. The pursuit of profits and wealth has led to abundant living. And abundance can tempt one to use that abundance to feed the lusts of the flesh, neglecting the power of the resurrection. That's what's happening in Corinth. They are so wealthy, they have so much going on, there's so much trade happening, that they, it's so easy for them to just fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Wow. It's hard to fulfill the lusts of the flesh if you don't have any money. This is why like, celebrities and sports people like, have a tendency to get in trouble. They have too much time on their hands and too much money. Right? It's the biggest promise of humanity. Too much time, too much money. Right? Oh Lord, if you could bless me with such problems. Right? It's like, but no, like, seriously, if you're not tempered, that's what happens. Good. And this is a place where, boy, they have tons of money. There's tons of stuff going on, right? Uh, and so we see this in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. He's, he's, he's talking about such things. Paul, this is Corinth. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought underneath the power of it. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both. So he's like, look, you, you, you have to temper your flesh, man. Everything's lawful, but it doesn't mean that it's helpful, right? And this is what he's talking about when dealing with this very, very rich and wealthy area, okay? And so for our guests, right, you know, the whole sermon series is a little bit more like historical in nature, right? Trying to understand what's going on in these areas. Uh, a very interesting thing here also is that through the earthquake that occurred, they discovered a gymnasium in Corinth, Okay? And what they know here is this, uh, that there was this, this event called the Isthmus Games. And every two years, they would have an athletic competition in the gymnasium, in the outdoor gymnasium. Uh, and when you... Come on, there you go. Uh, when you, uh, you, you performed, it was almost kind of like an Olympics, when you performed, uh, when you won, you get a commemorative coin. And on the commemorative coin, uh, there is a wreath. What happens here is if you won the competition of the running or the lifting or the wrestling, you would get a commemorative coin and you would receive a crown that you would get, a wreath, that both were dedicated to Poseidon, the, the god of, of, of the seas. Like little, you know, Ariel from the mermaid, her dad, that guy. Yeah, he's like a pagan god, right? He's, that, that's who he is, right? And it's very interesting. This is very, very interesting. And many of you probably know why. 1 Corinthians 9. 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one who receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. crown. But we for an imperishable crown, 
Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others on myself should become disqualified. Paul is commenting on the culture of the day yet again. Every two years, everyone shows up here and everyone does this competition. And they're all fighting and wrestling and running and devoting so much time and energy to these pursuits. That crown is going to fall apart, bro. I'm running to receive a crown that's eternal. That's good. Corinth, what are you doing? Right? So the milk that they're dealing with is this. Corinth, you care more about entertaining yourself with athletic competitions and exercise and all of that. You care more about that than maturing into the meat of the world. I'm sorry, meat of the word. Remaining stagnant in the basic fundamentals of the faith and not being transformed into the image of the Messiah. Now, interesting, in Greek mythology, Poseidon has a sexual affair. He has a sexual affair with a woman, a goddess, by the name of Aphrodite. And in Corinth, because earthquakes come to reveal truth. On top of the gymnasium, which was all about exalting Poseidon, on top of that is that building right there, which is a temple dedicated to Aphrodite. The goddess of sex... Passion, beauty, eroticism. This is a high place. Entertainment, athleticism, curing the notion of boredom, sex, eroticism, lust. These are all high places of Corinth. And actually in this image, it's actually physically a high place. It's, it's, it's built up. The Greek historian at the time, a guy by the name of Strabo, says this. The temple of Aphrodite in Corinth was so rich that it owned more than a thousand temple slaves. Courtesans whom both men and women had dedicated to the goddess. And therefore it was also on account of these women that the city was crowded with people and grew rich. For instance, the ship captains freely squandered their money. And hence the proverb, not for every man is the voyage to Corinthos. What's going on here? At the temple of Aphrodite, uh, there are about 1,000 temple prostitutes. This would mean that you could show up, either male or female, pay a fee, and you could engage in sexual behavior with one of these temple prostitutes. And by doing so, it would be doing, it, what would it be? It would be as if you were giving up a sacrifice unto the goddess Aphrodite. That's right down the street from the gymnasium. It's so bad there that actually... This historian's like, yeah, not, this is not a town for every man. Like, you know, you know in the, mer the merchant marines, like there's ports where, you know, there's a red light district. Like, Corinth is the red light district, okay? And not every man is up for going there because it's that intense. This is where these people live. And Paul is dealing with the issues that they are dealing with, right? So what are the high places of Corinth? It's the beauty of the flesh and entertainment. There's immense sexual immorality that's going on. Uh, it's money as man's ultimate pursuit. It's the lifting up of preachers. Apollos, Paul, Peter, which one? And even the lifting up of preachers, notice it's, it's, it's lifting up the human condition, right? It's lifting up the human ability. It's a, it's a sense of hero worship. You're worshiping the body. You're worshiping the, the flesh. You're wor worshiping lust. You're worshiping money. You're worshiping with man's ability to speak. That's so good. Right? The great orators, 
You're such a carnal city, Corinth. And because of that, I can't teach you the depths of the word. You're still drinking milk that's like Christianity 101. And it's because you have these high places in your life. So I don't know about you. I don't know if this sounds kind of familiar. No, dare, dare us, right? Not think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, Paul, cannot teach you. I can't teach you the depths of the word because you're still living a carnal life. Your city defines you and you are not defining your city. 1 Corinthians 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as carnal people, as the babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For till now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. For you're still carnal. Because there's envy, strife, divisions, etc., etc. It's very interesting. You know, people, I mean, we definitely should be building theology off of the epistles. No doubt about it. But be weary. A little weary. This is a letter that is written to a group of people that are still chewing on Christianity 101. This isn't like Christianity 202 or 303 or 404. This is bare minimum. minimum. And if we can't live a life that Paul is discussing in the epistles, you're not living bare minimum Christianity. Wow. He's like, I want to give you meat, but all of this is actually milk. Holy cow. I'm having a hard time living, doing the milk. And he's like, I mean, all, all, many of these epistles are like, hey, this is like the baby food. It's unbelievable. Now, don't worry, because we're not going to beat you up. We get to turn the corner, because I like meat. Come on. Hey. Come on. You know, he's like, you got, you got milk. You're babes. But do you want meat? Yeah, I want meat. Yeah, right. All right, so how do we turn the corner? So we're not just like, all right, is Corinth me? Am I Corinth? This is really bad. Corinth is this. This is the history of Corinth. Now let's turn the corner a little bit. Let's breathe a little life on here. There are two other places in Scripture that discuss milk versus solid food. And these other two places, Hebrews 5 and 1 Peter 2, they really begin to give us an understanding into how we are to move from milk to solid food. Amen? Because who wants to move into solid food? Yes. All right, I got three people. Amen. Might be more than corn. So yeah, let's, uh, let's take a look here. Hebrews chapter 5. This is really hard to do with one hand. Am I doing that now? Yeah, Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. This is a book written to Hebrews. This is a book written to Jewish believers. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 is where we, we have another notion of the, of the milk and the solid food. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Whoa. You should be teaching by now. You've learned enough about the Messiah. You should be teaching by now, church. You shouldn't be relying on someone else to teach you. You should be able to teach yourself and teach others. Wow. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
For everyone who partakes, partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's just hear what Paul just said right there. You should be teachers, but you're not teaching. I would like to teach you more about the depths of God's word, but I have to lay a foundation again to you. And what's the foundation? The foundation is these elementary principles of Christ. Repentance, baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He's like, I have to teach you. I don't want to have to teach you this all over again. Now I listen to that. I'm like, that's actually a pretty good church. You got a pastor that's teaching that stuff? It's like, hey, that's a pretty good Western church. And Paul is like, do I really have to teach you all this stuff again? This is, this is the baby food. It's not like you don't teach it. It's like, do we have to go over this again? Do we have to go over the concept that your life is crucified to Christ? Do I have to teach you that again? Like, I want to move on to bigger things, baby. But you can't handle it. I mean, it's, this, this should sting a little bit. So, what it, what, what's going on in this context? A little earlier, Hebrews five chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter five verse ten. Your Melchizedek is called by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, let's all say it. I don't like when people do this, but I'm going to do it. Let's all say dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Okay? Dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. I want to teach you about Melchizedek, the righteous king who gave, that Abraham gave an offering to that has no time beginning and no time end, found in the book of Genesis. That's what I want to teach you on. I want to teach you about who Melchizedek is and how he relates to the coming Messiah, but I can't. Because you're dull of hearing. And I have to go back and teach this again. Dull of hearing. What is dull of hearing? Dull is not sharp. Dull of hearing is you're lazy. Right? You're lazy. This is, this is, you have heard the preacher, but you don't put it into practice yet. So you're hearing all these great teachings, you're hearing all this stuff, but you don't put it into practice, and I can't teach more because you are a babe. Now, the problem of the people of Corinth is this. Man, this thing's really sensitive today. The problem with the believers of Corinth is not that the milk, this is really important, this is really important. So if you're like getting dull of hearing right now, you need to listen. You have to listen. This is going to set you free into being teachers. And not just sitting there like, can you please put the bottle in my mouth again? The problem with the believers of Corinth is not that the milk is weak. The, the milk of the word. It's not weak. It's power. It's life. It's, it's resurrection. 
or that the babes cannot eat steak. The problem is that the babes of Corinth are not exercising, as the book of Hebrews describes, with the milk they already have. My daughter is drinking milk. She is not eating steak. I cannot just give her steak. But the milk encourages her and develops her to be able to one day eat steak. So the milk of the Word of God is tremendously powerful. But you got to do something with the milk. you got to allow your spiritual digestion to break it down and to do stuff. If you just drink it and you don't digest it, that's called diarrhea, right? You have to ingest it and, and allow it to nourish you. And so what's going on with Corinth? The milk is not producing muscle of faith, and the muscle of faith is not producing acts of righteousness. So, Mary, if you can come on down, please. So, okay, you know, I've documented this whole problem, and now it's like, where's the punchline, Dave? Where are we going from here? Great. I feel like junk. Okay. Good. It's like a drill sergeant. I break it down before we build it back up. Or, Paul, I'm going to come in very nicely in chapter one and tell you how wonderful you are. And I'm going to tell you how horrible you are, and at the end of every letter, Paul now tells you how wonderful you are. That's the Paul sandwich. Go in. You're lovely. You're horrible. You're lovely. Okay? All right, Dave, how do you exercise the Word of God? Well, you need to go out and buy a Bible journal, and you need to buy a devotional, and uh, every day, between the hours of 6 o'clock in the morning and 6.10, you are to read the Word, and you are to write down questions, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we can talk about that. That's not really my jam, man. My, my, my question to you is, do you want the meat? Do you actually want the meat of God? You want the meat of the Scriptures? I say yes. I want it, man. Like, Paul is like, I'm about to unleash on you a mystery of Melchizedek, but I can't. So I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> i got to go back to these basics. It's like such a tease, man. Like, you're about to teach us about Melchizedek? And he does a little bit later, but not nearly the depths of what he could have and he should have. And what's so sad is now we don't know. We don't know exactly what Paul was going to say about Melchizedek. Man, I want to know these things. Man, do, do, do you want to move past the elementary principles of God, Paul was saying to Corinth, and I'm saying unto us today. Man, I want to know the meat, not, not just the milk. I, I want to know what does it look like to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1. What does it look like to sit in, in Christ Jesus in heaven right now? What is that? What does it look like? How do I get empowered in that? That's meat. How does one steward revival, Lord? I want revival, but when revival comes, I want to be able to steward it, Lord. I need to learn how to do that. That's Psalm 51. How does one heal the sick? Oh, it's easy, Dave. It says that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God, El Elyon, nothing evil shall befall him. Psalm 91. There's some meat there. How do I dwell in these places, Lord? How do I go after the meat of your word? How do I digest this, you know? How do I get the place of solid food? Well, we said Hebrews told us a little bit, but now also 1 Peter tells us. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
See, Peter is saying, drink the milk. The milk is good, but to feed upon it, it should strengthen you for solid food one day. But what does he say here? He says, crave it, desire it, want it, and then grow by putting it into practice. And how we put it into practice, you crave it, you grow, and then you taste and see that the Lord is good. But maybe you don't crave. Maybe Corinth didn't crave. And maybe you don't crave. I don't know. That's a, you, you, could, you can define that. And I think the, the answer to all this, well, how, Dave, do we grow into the solid meat of the word? Because maybe in your life, you don't see enough change in your life. You don't have enough change in your life, it's because you're a babe still. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to say, ha, 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 you're a babe. I'm here to call you into higher places in Christ Jesus. If, you have, if you've been saved for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, and you're the same person that you were then, and if you're struggling with the same sins that you were doing then, I'm just being real with you. You're drinking milk. But that's fine. We all drink milk. You need to allow the milk to encourage you and strengthen you. And how do you do that? By craving it, by desiring it, by stepping into it, and by putting it into practice. Well, I haven't done that, and I can't do that. Okay, it's not that you can't. It's maybe you haven't yet. So this is it. We go back to Galatians 1. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus. I'm just going to plant this in your spirit. If you are not seeing growth in your life, I am telling you, it's a good chance you have not had a revelation of Jesus. You've had a revelation of him from man preaching to you. But you haven't had a revelation face-to-face in that desert of Arabia. You have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. You will crave the Word of God. You will desire to know the secret places of God. So Paul, right, he spends all this time in Arabia. And we're closing up, I promise. But who wants the meat? So what is Paul saying with all this? Corinth, Hebrews, Peter, Galatia. Man did not simply teach me the things of God and man did not simply teach me the milk of God, but I had a revelation of Jesus when I was in Arabia for three years. In three years in this desert, in Arabia, I learned what a revelation of Jesus is. I feel like Paul is saying when he was there and he's speaking to us now through Corinth and through Hebrews and through Galatia that when I was there and to understand the milk of God's word is to understand what it means to be a son. When I was in Arabia, I feel like he's just, it's kind of like the spirit is on us that like he learned to what it means to be a son and how to activate the inheritance that we have in Christ. That's what it means to have this revelation. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to belittle teachings on, on that. Well, we, we've probably spent one way or the other the last two years teaching about the, the sonship. 
What does it mean to have an identity in Christ? And what does it mean to be a son of God and a daughter of God and have the inheritance? So I'm not knocking it. It's very, very powerful and sets you free. But I feel like Paul is saying, if you want the word of God, if you want the word of Christ to be activated in your life, you have to be yes in understanding what it means to be a son, but you also need to have an understanding of something else, which Corinth did not get. Romans 1, Paul, a bondservant, a slave of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Titus 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. 2 Peter 1.1, I, Simon Peter, a bondservant to God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who receive the faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and of the Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. And they, heaven sang, the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God. The Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, O King of the universe. And finally, back to Corinth. Something that they need to get, and something that we need to get. That yes, we are sons and daughters, and if you get that, it's going to liberate you into the meat of the Word of God. But people, you're more than a son. You're a slave of Christ. A slave. Purchased. Redeemed. My mind is not mine. My desire is not mine. My body is not mine. It has been purchased. I am owned. I am owned because of the cross. There's many people that go through life in their Christian walk that do not know and understand that you are owned. I am someone else's property. Jesus Christ. And this is what he has to convey to Corinth. And we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were brought, brought, bought at a price, and therefore do not become slaves of men. And so the next lesson of Paul. Paul, the bondservant, the slave of Christ will be the next lesson we get from Paul. We'll just stand up as we close out here. Father, your word, your word, your word. Father, I pray that there are people here who have now just a flat-out desire to move away from the simple milk I pray that there's a release right now. A release from the carnal thinking of man. And you know, I can get up here and I can preach about lust and I can preach about greed and I can preach about gossip and I can preach about all of this. But Lord, I, I, I pray that really the carnal attitude, the carnal attitude that comes at the root of all things, is that there are people in the church that believe that their life is theirs. Their life is not theirs. Their life is Christ's.
They've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray that there would be a desire in this place, a deep desire to say, Lord, I just come before you and I want to move away, way into the deeper things of you. I'm tired of going around the same mountain over and over again. I'm tired of just chewing on milk or just not even chewing, just gulping it down from some pastor and some person. Father, I pray that in Bristol Hope that we'll be a people that say, I want to grow up in the things of God. I want to become teachers of men. I want to be a witness unto the world. But Father, I pray, I pray that as we move forward in the things of Paul, Lord, that there would be an understanding that our life is not ours to live. Our, our, our lives are not a life of, of just entertainment, of the gymnasium. Our life is not just the fulfillment of lusts of Aphrodite. But, but our life, life can only be found when you give it away to Jesus. And you willingly receive the chains of Christ that set you free by being a slave by he who loves you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Mm. If you're a person that you just feel that you've been sucking on the bottle a little too long, it's cute. It's cute when it's a baby. It's not so cute when you're old. If you just feel like, hey, you know, I'll be honest, I, I've, been, I've been drinking too much of the milk. I haven't gotten serious with Jesus. It's been a really flatline baby experience. I want to mature into deeper things and better things of the Lord. I just invite you to come on down. And we'll pray for you. Have a wonderful week. Feel free to stay and stay. And remain in the presence, but we want to keep this place a worshipful attitude. I hope to see you downstairs. And also this Wednesday, a prayer and worship. Have a wonderful week.